So Jesus, ask that you would give, take the next few minutes and help us know how that scripture can apply to us. Lord, speak through that scripture, as hard as it is, speak through me uh, and the thoughts we're going to think. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You are all wondering, aren't you? Well, it's good to see all of you, 945, and it is good to see all of you on the podcast. Uh, My nine-year-old daughter really wants a pet. My wife and I, however, are not so sure because we know who's going to end up taking care of that pet, and we are already busy enough. So the rule in our house is if it eats or poops, we don't get it. That, however, does not stop the asking. In fact, uh, uh, just last week we were driving down Bellevue Way at the corner of Main Street, and you may have noticed they've put this giant chalkboard up there that says, before I die, I want to, and people can fill in the blanks. So my daughter said, before I die, I want to spend a day with Queen Elizabeth and her corgis. Like, what nine-year-old thinks about Queen Elizabeth? I think it was the corgis, because the next thing she said is, no, 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 I want to be a billionaire, so then I can buy my own corgis, to which my son said, you only need to be a millionaire for that. Now, I know that the problem with telling you that story is, y'all are going to side with my daughter and tell me to get her a pet, aren't you? That's not the point of this story, and that's not happening. The point is the chalkboard. That chalkboard, I think, gets at something really important. And that is, often it's the the things we regret most in life, the things that can do the most damage, are not sometimes the things we've done, though those can wreck us, but it's often the things that we don't do that can cause a lot of harm, which which is what is at stake in the story we read today. When King David's son, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar, uh, David's daughter by another marriage, and David does nothing about it. So then, as we're going to see, David's oldest son, Absalom, has Amnon murdered. It is a very dark story. In fact, when we read it over there at at the 9 o'clock service, one of the pastors leaned over and said to me, good luck with that. Uh, Which is why I've decided that Dana really should preach on this text. (laughs) David's passivity here wrecks his family. It wrecks the nation. His passivity, even it, goes, it wrecks the rest of his life. In fact, one of the interesting things about David is he starts so strong in life, killing Goliath, becoming king, but then from the time he is 40 on, it is just all downhill. He peaked early, like Italy or something like that. <laughs> but even in his failures, God redeems, restores, renews. I'm sorry if you're Italian. God redeems, <laughs> restores, renews. Now, passivity may be something that you don't think you deal with. In fact, you might be thinking, well, it's the opposite for me. Maybe you never met a battle that you didn't like. But just, just wait a minute, because I think a lot of us, most of us maybe, deal with passivity in some area of our life. For instance, maybe we are very assertive at work. We are hard chargers. But then we come home and we disengage from the family, kind of check out. Or maybe we avoid conflict in certain relationships. Or maybe we don't take the risks that God nudges us to take sometimes. Or maybe there's a lot of negativity in the office, say gossip or something like that, and, and, and we either passively go along with it and join in, or maybe we don't join in, we just ignore it, but we don't do anything positive to, to change it. Sometimes men on business trips feel pressure from their main male colleagues to do things like go to strip clubs, things like that. And may, they don't, often don't want to, but they just kind of go with the flow. That is passivity. 
On a bigger level, we look around us and we see problems in our world. Poverty or maybe youth without caring adults in their lives. And no, we can't fix everything, but sometimes we don't do anything, even the small thing, to help make it even just a little bit better. That's passivity. So I think a lot of us deal with it in one level or another. Now, if it's not you, if this just really isn't your issue, that's fine. This, this would be a good sermon for you to enjoy what I call the ministry of the elbow. Just keep nudging the person next to you because clearly they need it more than you do, right? Now, the results of passivity can be devastating, and we see that in the story. And let me just take a minute to list some of the results. For instance, when we are passive, others will fill the vacuum. After Amnon rapes Tamar, the text says when King David heard all of this, he was furious, but he would not punish Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. You know, parents sometimes do this. They, they, they want to be friends with their kids so badly that they don't discipline. I, I've heard of, of uh, parties here in our area, high school parties in our area, where parents supply the booze and the drugs, I guess trying to be one of the crowd or trying to be cool. I think another reason David doesn't do anything is, as we saw last week, he feels morally compromised himself. He has committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered to cover it up. So Amnon here is just doing what he saw dear old dad do. So David does nothing, is completely passive. Meanwhile, for two years, Absalom, David's oldest son, fumes over what Amnon did to his sister. But of course, doesn't say anything about it to Amnon. Until two years later, Absalom decides that if his father is too gutless to do anything about it, then he'll take matters into his own hands, throws a party, invites Amnon to the party, and has him killed there. So hint, if someone who hasn't talked to you for two years invites you to a party, don't go. <laughs> See, there are two ways that we can abuse power. Two ways that we can abuse power. One, the one we're familiar with, is to use the power we have to bully, intimidate, get our way, hurt other people. But there's another way to abuse power, and that's not to take up the power that God has given us and use it for good. To not take up the power that God has given us to protect and defend, which David does not do here even for his own daughter. And when we don't use the power God has given us for good, others will fill in the void. One of the things my wife reminds me of, is that if I don't show my daughters love and affection all throughout their growing up years, then they're going to go find, when they turn teenagers, they're going to go find it somewhere in some loser boyfriend somewhere. That is very sobering. When we are passive in any area of our life, others rush in to fill the void, usually negatively. Second consequence, when we are passive, we and others don't grow. David here confuses love with tolerance. See, tolerance is, oh, I don't care what you do. Uh, even if it hurts you, even if it hurts someone else, I don't care. Love says this behavior is not good for you or for others. It's hurting you. And Jesus loves you, and so do I, so how can I help you rise above it? We don't have to blast people, but real love confronts. A lot of managers know this. Say, say there's a person on your staff who's not doing their job. The kindest thing you can do as a manager is to confront them on that and then help them grow and get better, or help them find another job that's more suited to their gifts. Otherwise, they suffer, but everyone else on the team suffers because everyone else has to take up the extra, extra load. Or if there's someone who uses intimidation to get what they want, if the manager doesn't confront that person, everyone suffers. Mercy to one can be tyranny to the many. Real love confronts. Doesn't let people just hurt themselves. My mom and dad once were eating at a fancy restaurant. My dad had lobster, but when he cracked it open, this big blob of white goo 
flew across the table, hit the guy in the booth next to them on the back of the head. And the guy didn't notice it was there, right? And he was just really into his conversation and talking and moving. And, and you know, his head, the goo was jiggling wherever he went, right? And, and my parents wanted to tell him, but they started laughing so hard they couldn't. So finally, the guy gets up, walks out of the restaurant with the goo still on the back of his head, right? I mean, imagine when he got home. Hey, how long has this been here, right? Okay, here's the point of that story. Do not let people walk around with goo on their head, metaphorically speaking. You got to tell them when they're doing something that's hurtful to them or to others. Third consequence of passivity is relational breakdown. After Absalom kills Amnon, Absalom flees to a neighboring country. And the text says that King David longed to go to Absalom. But did he? Nope. Passive again. When Absalom most needs his dad, his dad is not there for, them, for him. Then, after a couple of years in exile, Absalom finally returns. And it says he bowed down with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom, which sounds like reconciliation, but it's not. That was just the standard greeting back then. It's the equivalent of a handshake. No warm words, no welcome back. And of all the ways that, we, that our passivity hurts others, our failure to tell people that we love them can be the most devastating. And that's what David does here. He doesn't tell his son he loves him. So then in the next chapter, Absalom launches a civil war against his dad. Launches a civil war. In fact, the relational breakdown gets so bad that Absalom sets up a tent on the palace roof and has sex with his father's concubines in front of everyone just to humiliate his dad. And if you're out there and you're too young to know what a concubine is, ask your parents when you get home. It's like a porcupine, only different. Just trying to help families talk about the scriptures in this sermon. <clears throat> I'm going to get so many emails from parents. When, when we get passive, when we don't show people that we love them, or when we don't resolve conflict biblically, or when we let a dysfunction in the family simmer and simmer and simmer, it destroys relationships. Recently read an article by a woman whose husband just got a promotion and was working really, really hard at his job. So he wasn't passive in his career at all. But she said, when she comes home, it's different. She said, I look forward to his coming home all day because I miss him, but he's so tired he doesn't feel like talking. So he eats dinner, watches TV, then goes to bed. On the weekends, he plays golf with his buddies. We go for months without a meaningful conversation. And I get so lonely. He hasn't tried at all to be tender, but then he expects me to become passionate when he wants. I go along with my duties, but after the two-minute trip is over, he's asleep, and I lie there. Well, there's a little bit of honesty there, wasn't it? And... and and I lie there resenting him and feeling like a cheap prostitute. I feel like a lousy mother and a terrible wife. Sometimes I think not even God loves me. Ouch. At its worst, that's the kind of relational breakdown that can happen when we are passive in some area of our life. The bottom line is this. Our passivity leads to a lot of regret. Absalom ends up losing the civil war and dies in the process. And throughout this whole story, it's interesting. There's one word that David has never used. He never uses it. But now, when they tell him of Absalom's death, now he can't stop using that word over and over again. He starts to weep uncontrollably and he says, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Some of the most heartbreaking lines in the whole Bible. 
Throughout the whole story, David refers to Absalom by name or as the young man, but never as my son. But now he cannot stop saying it over and over. And those words, if only I had died instead of you. If only, if only. David here thinks of everything that could have been, of the father that he wanted to be but never was. And he finally says what Absalom had longed to hear for decades and what David himself even felt but never said. And now he is stuck with the words, if only. Passivity leaves us with a lot of if-onlys. And that's the bad news about passivity. And it is bad. But here's the good news. We do not serve a passive God. We serve an active, powerful God. And he empowers us to rise above passivity and to repair what has been broken and to find hope even when it seems hopeless. So, let me give you a couple of steps out of passivity, a couple of steps where we can find God's renewal and God's hope. And the first one is a little bit complex, so I'm going to have to spend some time on it, and it's this. Cut it out. Just stop it. Just stop it. Just reject passivity. I'm not, just say I'm not going to go there. Now, I'm not saying go out and act rashly. No, we, we need to discern what the right action to take is and when to take it. And we do that through prayer and through scripture and through the counsel of others. But that's still active because here's the thing. Things don't change by wishing it was so. A man I know was on a plane with his two small kids and they were making a lot of noise. And the man in the front turned around, seat seat in front of him turned around and said, are those your kids? And my friend said, yeah. And the man said, man, my wife and I would give anything to have two kids. And my friend said, oh, don't, don't you have any kids? And the man said, no, we have five kids. We'd give anything to have two. <clears throat> Idle wishing. It doesn't get better just by wishing. So you got to do something. One of the things I love about my wife, in fact, is that she is very direct. She's very active. In fact, when we were dating, our first Valentine's Day together, she said to me, it's Valentine's Day, and in order to feel loved by you, I need the following three things. One, a card with something nice written on it. Two, dinner at a nice restaurant. And three, you have to make the reservations. I thought, I'm going to marry this woman. Right? So clear, so direct, no games, no guessing, no, if I have to tell you then you don't love me. Right? None of that, right? Just a checklist. I'm a guy. I can do a checklist. Women, take note. Reject passivity. Second, notice opportunities to act. David here has a million opportunities to act. He doesn't even notice them. For instance, Absalom used to stand outside the palace and say to anyone who had a complaint, if only I were judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint could come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Passive aggressive, don't you think? It's also treason. David doesn't even notice. In another place, it talks about how handsome Absalom was, especially his hair. It says he used to cut his hair because it became too heavy for him. What would that be like? I wouldn't know. And then he'd weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels. That's a lot of shekels, in case you're wondering. Okay, weighing your hair? Kind of vain, don't you think? Might be a problem there. David doesn't even notice. And in fact, this is what eventually gets Absalom killed. In one of the strangest passages in the Old Testament, and there are some strange passages, right? Absalom is fleeing on a mule, which if you think about it, is kind of an oxymoron, right? (laughs) We've got to flee. Quick, get the mule. And and he's riding along, and his hair gets caught in the tree, and the mule keeps going. I'm serious. So he's dangling there by his head, and David's men come and kill him. Proof that big hair is a sin. 
better to be bald. But had David been praying all along, Lord, show me where I need to act. Show me how I need to, if we pray that prayer, we will see the opportunities we have to act and make a difference. Step three, trust that it's never too late. We all have regrets for what we haven't done, but Jesus is the God of second chances. He took something as seemingly final as death on a cross and turned it into new life by rising from the dead. There is no regret in your life that he cannot heal. Were you not there enough for your kids when they were growing up? Man, even if they were in their 50s, go ahead. It's not too late. Say you love them. Be more involved in their life. Or say that to your spouse if you're, not, if you're, if you're being too passive in your marriage. Or, or even if you have regrets over something where someone has died, even there Jesus can heal. I know many people who in prayer have written a letter to someone who has died saying everything they wanted to say and they found healing in that. In our inner healing prayer ministry, folks find, find freedom from regret all the time. Reject passivity, notice the opportunities to act, trust that it's never too late, and the last is use the power you have for good. Now, you may think, well, I don't have any power. Yes, you do. All of us have power that God has given us to bless, to inspire, to bring life to, to protect people in our school, in our families, at work, wherever God puts us. A couple from this church told me about a time when their son, I'll call the son Mike, was in middle school, and some friends of his started to bully a neighborhood girl. Well, that night, this couple got a call from the girl's parents about what had happened. And, and, and Mike said they confronted Mike, and Mike said, well, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't join in. But then his dad said, yeah, but did you try to get your friends to stop? That's good parenting. And Mike said, no. So his dad said, well, then you have to apologize for not helping. You have to apologize for being passive. But you don't have to do it alone. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stand right beside you because I want you and everyone else to know that I love my son and I support him and I'm right with him. And that's what they did. And it was a great lesson. In fact, this couple said that over the years, their son became very good at apologizing, which, as it turns out, was a skill set he needed quite often. <laughs> that is good parenting. Mike's dad was active, not passive. When so many parents might have said, you know, just been tempted to avoid conflict or say, okay, you didn't join in, that's good. Mike's dad showed his son what it means to be a man of courage, a man of action, a man who uses the power he has for good and not be passive. And all of us can do that in lots of ways. Maybe it's simply saying to our kids or our spouse, I'm sorry or I love you or whatever needs to be said that you haven't been saying. Or maybe if folks are gossiping, we can kind of gently switch the conversation to something more positive. Or just to care for someone who's hurting and instead of just kind of ignoring it. I recently read about a high school basketball game in Milwaukee where there was a player named John whose mom had died of cancer. And there was a game that night and everyone just assumed that John wouldn't be there because his mom had just died. But in the middle of the second, uh, the second quarter, John shows up ready to play. Said he felt that his mom would want him to do that. But the problem was his name hadn't been entered into the, into the scorecard, which meant that if he took the floor, his team would be assessed a technical and the opposing team would get to take uh, two free throws. And all this was announced over the PA for some reason. And the coaches, they tried to talk to the ref, but the ref said rules are the rules. But when the kid from the opposing team went to throw the free throws, instead, he just threw the ball a couple of feet in front of him and it just kind of rolled off out of bounds. And when he did that, the whole crowd, they stood up, standing ovation, cheering. After the game, the kid was talking to a newspaper reporter and the kid said, you know what, I did it for the guy who lost his mom because it was just the right thing to do. 
Meanwhile, John's coach wrote a letter to the opposing team saying, you know, you should be proud of not just playing well, but also of showing real leadership. And I'd especially like to thank the student who purposely missed the shot. Hope the coach doesn't make him run laps. Now, the passive thing to do would have been just simply do what the ref said to do, move on with the game. No big deal. It's just a game. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But instead, this high school kid noticed the opportunity he had to bless someone else. I might not have even noticed. He noticed the opportunity he had to bless someone else, rejected passivity, used the power he had for good. He didn't have a lot, but he used it for good to let a hurting young man know that others cared about him. And I got a question for you. 30 years from now, what do you think he would remember better? If he'd just done the free throws normally or remember what he did? I think it's going to be what he did that he'll remember better. Bottom line, start where you are, use what you got, do what you can. And when we do that, we are following Jesus, our Lord, who is anything but passive. You know, we saw in this story that when Absalom returned from exile, David kind of welcomes him very coolly. Well, as it turns out, there's another story in the New Testament about another son who was exiled and returned, the prodigal son. But his father's response was very different than David's. It says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, which means that every day the father was looking, actively looking, never giving up hope, not being passive. And then he ran to his son. And in those days, men did not run because they'd have to hike up their robes to do it. And that was considered foolish. But this father makes a fool of himself for his son. And he throws his arms around his son. And in the Greek, it says, and he kissed him, and he kissed him, and he could not stop kissing him. That's the heart of the God that we serve. That's the heart of our Lord. Who, went, who the Bible tells us, while we were yet sinners, he did what? Passively accepted it? Hoped it would go away? Yelled at us? No, while we were yet sinners, he acted. He became one of us in Jesus. Died for us. He is zealous for you. He is zealous for me. He is a God of action. So where is he nudging you to act? Maybe it's to say I love you or I'm sorry to someone where you need to say that. Or maybe it's to engage more in your family. Or lovingly confront someone so that they can grow. Or take control of your finances rather than passively going along with our culture and spending to the margins. Or maybe it's to take some risk he's been nudging you to take so you don't get to the end of your life and think, why did I let fear hold me back? Whatever it is this week, would you ask the Holy Spirit to just keep nudging you, keep bugging you, make you miserable and give you the power to act until you do it. I'll close with this. When Winston Churchill died, his funeral was at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And at the end, there was a bugler up in the dome who played taps. You know that kind of sad song the military plays at the end of the day? Well, when it was finished, folks thought, you know, it's over. So they got up and started to leave. But then on the other side of the dome, another bugler got up and played Reveille. You know, the one that they play in the, in the morning, the military plays in the morning. You know, time to get up, time to get up, that one. I think that's a good metaphor. We serve a passionate, active, powerful God who conquered death. That is not passive. And he gives us the power to act as well. So church, it's reveille time. Time to get up, time to get up, time to get up and act. So Jesus, would you show us where maybe we are being too passive? Lord, maybe we are active in 99% of our life, but Lord, show us the place maybe where you want us to use the power that you have given us for good to bless, to inspire, to protect, to defend. Lord, give us eyes to see and then keep bugging us until we do it. And Lord, help us to act in your name 
so that we can be more like you and this world can be more like you intended it to be. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.